Open your Bibles if you would. Yes. To Revelation, the third chapter. We're going to continue in our series on the message to the churches in Asia. Um, We've been making our way through each of these, and we're down to uh, the church in Sardis. And as we have gone through each one of these, just for those who haven't been here, um, what we're looking at is we're we're looking at a brief um, overview of each of these churches and the message to each of these churches. Um, We're not delving terribly deep into each one, but we're looking at the general message. Um, And then out of that, we'll draw out what the message means to us, uh, because that's what's so important as we read scripture. What is the application to us? Um, We're also looking at patterns, and we're also looking at symbology. We're also looking at um, the way Revelation is structured, because it's quite different than uh, any of the other books in the New Testament. So this is kind of a um, um, precursor, if you will, for a fuller in-depth study of the remaining parts of the book of Revelation. So this is kind of an introduction. It serves that way. But there's quite a bit that we can get out of... um, out of these first three chapters and the the messages to each of these churches. So today, like I said, we're in uh, Sardis. This is the fifth church, the fifth message that's going out to the church. Um, Just a quick look at our map here of where Sardis is. Sardis is right here. And as we have mentioned, uh, here is Patmos, the island island where uh, John is uh, in exile while he's writing these, and he's writing and sending the message that he's writing to each of these churches. Um, We looked at Thyatira last week, and so you see Sardis is a little south of of Thyatira um, there on the map. We have been looking at the descriptions of Jesus and how they line up um, from what's introduced in the first chapter, and then how those introduction, those descriptions of Jesus, he uses as um, in his salutation to each of these churches and, and what that means. So we've looked at those going along there. Last week, like I said, we looked at Thyatira, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. And, and as that description um, tells of Jesus and his power and his might and the majesty, um, each of those things that we get, it also speaks to the message that's being delivered to each of these churches as well. And so we're going to see that as today when we talk about Sardis. In uh, chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, this is, again, in John's introduction to the letter here, um, and he, he describes the, Jesus and, and, and God here and the seven spirits that are before the throne. And in verse 16, it says, And in his right hand he held seven stars. So this is, again, the description of Jesus. And, and in his right hand he held these seven stars. So when we come to chapter 3, and in verse 1, as uh, the letter is, is being penned here, Jesus describes himself as he who has the seven spirits of God. And also, is, he's described himself, and also, and the seven stars. So not only is it the seven spirits of God, but he also has the seven stars. We'll go into a little bit more detail on that as we go forward. 
Um, so let's look a little bit uh, at the ancient city of Sardis, a few facts that we can get from this. Like we said, it's about 30 miles or so south, southeast of Thyatira. Uh, it was the capital of ancient Lydia, which was a region, in, this region was called Lydia before it was called Asia. Uh, and I believe I'm right in, in remembering that it actually goes back to being called Asia a few centuries on. But this was the ancient capital of this region called Lydia. Um, one of the claims to fame of Sardis is that it was, this is the origination of modern currency. And that happened because um, there was a, a river that flowed nearby and the, uh, it was filled with silver and gold. And the metallurgists there learned how to separate the silver from the gold. And as such, they were able to, um, to coin it as pure gold coins and pure silver coins. And so as a result of all that, uh, Sardis is said to be um, where modern currency originated, which is kind of an interesting um, fact there. In AD 17, it was destroyed by an earthquake. So we, depending on where you place um, the writing of Revelation, either 70 AD or before 70 AD or after in the 80 to 90 AD range, in the same century, there was an earthquake. So 60, 70, 80 years later is when this, is, this letter is being written. So it gives you kind of an idea of when that earthquake, earthquake took place. Um, and it was rebuilt with the help of the emperor at the time, Tiberius. And it was also exempted from taxes for five years, just so they could get back on their feet. This is kind of a common thing. Um, we see a lot of um, cities in this area that were destroyed by earthquakes. Um, so it was a fairly common thing that happened. Um, the geographic features um, of Sardis made it a natural stronghold. We'll see here in just a moment about, about that. It was kind of in a valley, but the city of Sardis itself set up on a, a really high hill and it almost formed like a natural citadel or a natural stronghold. Um, but oddly enough, because of that, it seemed to, to foster this complacency, like they didn't need to defend themselves. And so uh, they kind of became complacent because they felt they were, they were uh, impervious to any kind of attacks. And that plays in a little bit too to, to Jesus' message as well. Um, and twice it was taken by surprise because of that, because they maybe let their guard down a little bit. Um, twice in the city's history, it was taken by surprise. So Jesus is gonna talk about that he's going to come like a thief and no one knows the hour. So it's interesting that that plays into all this and might be something of Jesus' message. That's speculation, of course, but we kind of see that from the history and, and the geography of the city itself. So here's a picture of um, kind of the ruins. I don't know if you can make that out or not, but there's a kind of a ruin right there. Um, and then the natural features all around. So you can see that this kind of goes down into this valley um, but the city of Sardis sat up on this hill. So you can see if, if anybody was coming to attack, you could see them for miles. So that's one of the, the things about this city and why it was a, a stronghold for many, many years. Um, this is the ruin of the, the temple to Diana or to Artemis. And if you remember in our study, um, there was also a temple to Artemis in Ephesus. Uh, this was a common thing. They would have temples to these gods in, in these cities. But this is the ruin, again, of the, of the Temple of Artemis. Um, 
you see these columns standing here. I, I don't know if you can make this out or not. I, and then I just this is just something me finding interesting that that the top of that column right there looks like it's about to fall over. Um, and there's a I don't know if you can make it out or not, but there's a guy standing right down there at the bottom. So he was pretty brave and standing down there. But um, these columns, um, you know, this is all part of Roman and Greek architecture, and you can study all about that kind of thing. Um, but this is this is what's left of the Temple of Diana or the Temple of Artemis. This is um, the gymnasium and bathhouse that was constructed in the second century AD. So this would have been after the time of the writing of this, but, but just, just in the century after. This is the, what's left of the gymnasium and, and bathhouse. In, in reading about this, I would equate it to, basically it's like a, what we would call the YMCA today. It was a place for uh, athletics and um, gymnastics kind of things, uh, a bathhouse. So that's the, the close, closest equivalent I could come up to. It's like a YMCA. Interesting that that was there in the second century AD. Let's talk a little bit about the church in Sardis. Um, like uh, Smyrna and Thyatira, we don't know about the, the actual origin of the church in Sardis. The only real mention of, that we have of this church is right here. So we don't know um, about its origin. But it seems that from the text um, that the church outwardly appeared to be fine because um, we'll read here in just a moment um, that it says that you have a name which you are alive but you are dead. So it seems that outwardly and to the public this church was, was okay. Um, but Jesus knows better. Jesus knows that this, this church was spiritually dead and this is a big part of the message that goes to them has a name that you are alive, but indeed you are dead. Um, nothing said of oppression from the Jews, um, like we read there in, in Smyrna, or in uh, emperor worship or idol worship, like that plagued some of the other churches that we've that we've talked about, the Nicolaitans and Ephesus and Pergamum, uh, the emperor worship that was going on in Pergamum and Thyatira. Um, from the text here, we don't really see that kind of oppression, but rather we just see that there's uh, something inside that the church is not um, functioning as it should. It was spiritually dead. So let's read here um, about the church in, in Sardis. So if you're there in Revelation 3, let's read verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God... And the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. If, therefore, you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you uh, and you will not know the hour at which I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." So, as we've mentioned before, 
each of these messages follows a certain pattern. And the first thing we have in that pattern, the message is the salutation. So again, he who, uh, or beg your pardon, to the angel of the church in Sardis writes. This is a common um, salutation to each one of these churches. And we've talked about the angel of the church in the past, and we're going to talk a little bit about it today as well. Jesus' self-designation, as we have mentioned, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I'm sorry, that text looks a little small. Can y'all see that okay up there? Okay, seems to have shrunk, but okay, we're good. I'm having trouble reading it on my screen, so I thought you might be having trouble reading it on your screen. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is Jesus' self-designation. We're going to talk um, a little bit more about that um, as we go along. Um, well, I, actually, you know what, let's talk about this now, because I, I think this is important to, to kind of lay the groundwork and understand um, a little bit about the message that's, that's going forth here. Seven spirits and the seven stars. Now, what, what would he mean by this seven spirits? Well, um, the seven spirits of God, if you look back in chapter 1 and verse 4, it says there, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace and to him who is, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are, who are before his throne. So how do we square and how do we understand what this seven spirits means? Well, as we talked about with numbers and revelation, numbers are symbolic. Numbers have a certain meaning in the book of Revelation. And if you remember from our study, seven was that um, perfect number. So when something is referred to with the number seven, that's a perfect, that's a holy completeness um, that's being spoken of with the number seven. So if we talk about, or if John's talking about the seven spirits are before his throne, there's not seven holy spirits, there's one holy spirit. So the number added to the to the Holy Spirit must mean some kind of completeness. Um, and that's, I believe, what is being talked about here. Um, sevenfold per perfection, if you will, of the, of the Spirit's workings. So not only is the Holy Spirit living and active, those things that we talk about um, with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and, and His role in all this, but this number added to it means uh, a sevenfold perfection, if you will of what this Holy Spirit does. Now what about the seven stars that are in his right hand? If you look over in verse 20 of, of chapter 1, it says, And as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my, in my right hand in the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So the seven stars that he's holding in his right hand are these angels of the churches that he is writing to. Now, we've talked about the angels of the churches. What, who are they? And I um, had a slide up here and, and laid out several different um, theories from men that have put, that have put forth. Um, but the, the very idea that there was so many lets us know that we don't really know. Um, we can look from the text and, and, and understand we can understand what they are not or who they are not. Um, but what I tend to believe is that, that these, these spirits of the churches, these angels of the churches, 
represent a, a heavenly counterpart or a prevailing spirit of the church, something that, um, that goes along with the, the church here on earth. There's something in heaven, an angel of the church in heaven is, is, the, is the heavenly counterpart. At least that's why we can kind of think about it in those terms. Um, again, seven being the complete number. So these, these seven churches, this is, represents all the churches in, in the world. So if the angels of the churches are the heavenly counterpart, um, or the prevailing spirit of the churches itself, then Jesus is ready to put the power of God, which he talks about with the seven spirits, He's ready to put that together with the angel of the seven churches, if you understand what, how that goes together. So with the sevenfold power of the Holy Spirit and, and also having the stars in his right hand, Jesus stands ready uh, to, to deliver these churches and the things that they need to repent of. And he has that power to do that. And again, this seven being the complete number, putting that together. So that's how we can kind of at least think about this. Uh, in terms of what's going on in heaven and, and, and the counterparts on earth. Not exactly um, perfect, at least probably not the way I'm explaining it, but it helps us to understand that a little bit more. And the next part of the letter is typically uh, the commendation of good. Um, so here in Sardis, Jesus recognizes that there were workers. He recognizes that some had not defiled their garments, and some were worthy uh, of, of um, the work that's going on here, worthy of praise in, in everything that is, that is happening here. But the condemnation of evil, uh, which is next, is that um, they were dead, and their works were not perfect before God. So again, this idea of living but dead. The church seemed to have an outward appearance of being alive, but... But Jesus recognizes and calls them out as being dead. Um, and he says there, wake up and strengthen what remains. This idea of, of strengthening what remains, bring to completion. Um, finish something that has already begun. There's something here that had already begun. And even in his, um, um, we'll talk about here in just a moment in verse 3, remember from where you have come. Um, the idea that there's, they had a beginning and a good beginning, it seems, but they've lost sight of that. And Jesus is saying, you need to bring that to completion. This church may have been strong in the beginning, um, but has fallen to become inwardly dead. And I think about uh, you know, this idea of inwardly dead. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous but to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So I can't help but thinking that describes the church in Sardis almost to a T. Outwardly they appear fine, but inwardly they are full of dead men's bones. They needed to keep the things that they had heard, to hold fast to those things that they had heard. Um, otherwise, um, what was next? And that is the next part of, of each of these messages, and that's the warning and the exhortation. So the warning that Jesus gives them is this, is to, is to watch, is to strengthen the faithful. Uh, remember and keep what you have heard. Repent or else I am coming. 
So he says here in verse 3, Remember therefore from what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Um, if therefore you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know in what hour I will come upon you. Remember we talked about how a couple times in history, Sardis had been overtaken by someone who sneaked in um, into the city. So it just is interesting that Jesus uses those terms. That he's coming like a thief, and you're not going to know when that's going to happen. Um, and this is not the reference to um, the second coming of Jesus, um, the day of judgment. This is a reference to, um, like, like a warning to the other churches that we have looked at, this is um, a warning of the consequences of not repenting. Um, you know, he told the church in Ephesus, I'm going to come and, and remove your lampstand. Um, so we know what that, what that means. This is a consequence for them not repenting of the things that they have said. But, um, going back a little bit, uh, the commendation of good. Um, some had not defiled their garments. Um, <clears throat> we see there in verse 4, But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Um, even among the dead, even among this church that had um, these dead bodies, if you will, in it, there's some that are still living. And Jesus recognizes that. He recognizes and sees those who are alive in this dead church. And they had not been corrupted by sin. They had been keeping themselves unspotted from the world. We read that from James chapter 1 and verse 27 keep yourselves unspotted from the world. So there were there, those there in Sardis um, who had not given in to this, who were still holding fast, um, who were still remembering the things that they had learned from the beginning. The next part of each of these letters is the promise or reward, or reward for overcoming. So what does it say here about in Sardis? It says, well, we've been talking about clothed in white garments, name not blotted out of the book of life, and that he will confess their name before the Father. Walk with me in white garments. We've talked about this color white, white representing purity. Those things that are indeed undefiled. Oh, so that's what we get from understanding these white garments. These are people who hadn't soiled themselves, soiled their garments. Walking with the Lord infers uh, agreement uh, or oneness or fellowship. Those that are walking with the Lord are in agreement with him. They are in fellowship with him. Um, it says that he will not erase his name from the book of life. Interesting, uh, in this reading, we, and we, we hear about the book of life quite a bit in Scripture. It seems that the Jews kept uh, a register of their people. In Isaiah 4, and verse 3, it says, It will come about that when he is left in Zion and, and remains in Jerusalem, will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. Also in, in Ezekiel 19, and verse 9, So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel. Nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. There seems to be this register of people, the children of Israel. And their names were taken out of this register upon their death. In Psalm 69, verse 28, it says, May they be blotted out of the book of life and may not be recorded with the righteous. So this is one of the punishments for sinning, is their name taken out of that book. And also at their death, they'd be blotted out of that book of life. 
Jesus here says the one who overcomes, his name will remain in the book of life. So again, here's that the heavenly equivalent to what we're talking about uh, here on earth is that the, the book of life that's in heaven for those who are righteous uh, to God. And he who overcomes, his name will remain in that book and will not be blotted out of that book. And also he talks about um, the one who confesses his name before the Father. Um, there's a clear uh, connection to Matthew 10 and verse 32. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. There's a clear uh, connection to that, confessing Jesus Christ before men. And he will confess us before our Father who is in heaven. So those are the rewards for overcoming the trials and, and overcoming these things that are besetting the church in Sardis. And as we have in each one of the letters, the invitation to hear the message that was given. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, so let's talk about the message to us. What does this mean to us? As we think about this church here that, that has an outward appearance um, that it's doing fine, but inwardly it, it's not. It's spiritually dead. Um, we can appear outwardly to be alive. You know, this, this church, this congregation, this body here in Cortez, we can have an appearance um, that we are alive. Um, but we could be dead. Uh, and that's something that we have to be very careful of. And sadly, many churches um, suffer from this today. Um, this lack of, um, uh, of growth, this lack of faith to remain uh, a sound body uh, of, of Christ, a sound body of the Lord. And it is sad that many churches suffer from that today. But we must be vigilant to make sure that we are alive. We must make sure that we are continuing to grow, that we are continuing to walk. You know, Jesus says, um, um, He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name. Um, back in verse 4, They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. That's what we need to be doing. Make sure we're walking with him. Um, this constant moving forward, which indicates that we are growing as well. We need to finish the good work that has begun. In the, uh, the message here um, to the church, they had obviously had started. That's why he's writing to them. Um, but they had fallen. They had become a dead, a spiritually dead church for the most part. Um, so we need to finish the good work that has begun here in, the, in this community. Make sure that we are um, raising up our children and, and continuing to grow, and so that our children will have a place here in this community to continue to worship and to serve God, to finish the good work that has, been, that has begun. We need to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. You know, even in this church in Sardis where there were um, those that were spiritually dead, Jesus recognized that there are still, still some there that were unspotted from the world. So we need to make sure that we are doing that, keeping ourselves in that same condition. And we don't need to be ashamed to call him Lord. Um, so much of um, our faith and so much of our service to God hinges on us confessing who he is. 
Confessing who God is, confessing who Jesus Christ is. And so we, ne- we ne- need never be ashamed to call him Lord. And never be ashamed uh, of who we are, the children of God. And if we do that, um, we are promised. We are promised heaven. We are promised uh, a life in this world, not an easy life by worldly standards necessarily. Um, but we are promised a good life, uh, a life lived serving God and the blessings that come from that. And, of course, that hope in heaven that lies after this life is over. I hope this has been encouraging to you. We don't have a whole lot about the church in Sardis, uh, either from a historical standpoint or in Scripture. We just have six verses here. But those six verses are very rich. There's lots of things that are said about um, this church and the things that we can glean from it. So if you, uh, as a child of God, uh, if you are not keeping yourself unspotted from the world, um, you need to, need to change that. You need to repent. Jesus says here, repent. Go back to those, those former things. If you need help in that regard, we stand ready to help you. And you can let us let that be known by coming forward as together we stand to sing to encourage you.